Welcome to Our Kids in Mind. I'm Jane Gilmore. And I'm Bettina Honan. We wrote The Incredible Teenage Brain Book because we wanted to make brain science accessible to adults supporting teens so that the young people in their care could have a better future. Bettina and I firmly believe in the power of conversation. As Dan Siegel said, it's a sort of sorting space for ideas. And with that in mind, we've reached out to other JKP authors and put our shared passion for young people's well-being at the centre of our conversation. In each podcast episode, as we marinate in our guests' expertise, we'll build bridges between our respective books and debate different approaches. So join our conversation as we dip into some incredible books about young people. And we're so thrilled to welcome Aidan Harvey-Craig to the podcast. Welcome, Aidan. Um, Aidan has worked as head of psychology, head of year, student counsellor, and he's worked internationally for many years, currently actually calling in from Malawi. Um, He's the author of the fabulous book, 18 Wellbeing Hacks for Students, Using Psychology's Secrets to Survive and Thrive. And he also has used these ideas for his student wellbeing online ambassador program. Previous work includes anger management and cognitive skills in a maximum security prison and working as an editor in a global publisher for online travel. So it's a really, really warm welcome from us, Aidan. We, Jane and I have absolutely loved your book. I can't tell you um, how much we've really enjoyed it and, and got so much from it, actually. For those who haven't read it yet, I mean, first of all, we would really recommend you do. Um, it's a book written for young people. And it's got these kind of evidence-based hacks to um, intentionally support young uh, well-being for young people. So when we were writing our book, actually, we felt really passionately about sharing the teenage brain neuroscience with adults, caring for teens, you know, so that they can give them the best opportunities. We wanted to start by asking you why you wanted to write 18 Well-Being Hacks. Well... First of all, thanks so much for inviting me onto this. It's a, it's a, it's a real honour. So it's, a, it's thank you very much for that. Um, and I completely agree. It's such a good idea to. There's so many of us, um, even just within JKP, that are trying to do the same kind of thing. And you know, we we want to um, provide things that make uh, young people's lives better. And we're overlapping so much. And it's so nice to to kind of make those connections and uh, and work yeah. together on that rather than individually and all kind of in our in our separate ways um my coming to it was i mean i guess like most people there was lots of different things that happened if i had to pinpoint one event i was having a late night conversation with a very old friend of mine and his son was having a really really difficult time uh, with a, a relationship that he was in a very controlling uh kind of relationship and it the the my friend who's the father was sort of at his wit's end because uh, it seems that no matter what he did or said in order to try and um, help the situation, it just kind of made it worse. Uh, and um, what what struck me was that at that point was that, um, you know, I've been at, at that point, I've been working with teenagers as a as a teacher and, and what have you for over 10 years. I've been talking to them about psychology as a psychology teacher. Um, and um, and I had never really put the the two things that those two things together with with um trying to help in terms of well-being because there's so much within psychology that could do that um and i suddenly thought maybe that there was a, mm. a you know something i could do 
And what I really, first of all, what I really wanted to do was provide something that might provide some dialogue, you know, between adults and, and teenagers. I, I think in in your book, you were you were because you you aim it more at the at the adult and say I think to um you know this is some ideas and and help. Um, but you're saying that um, you're hoping that, that that maybe young people would also pick it up and and what have you. I, I kind of went in the other way around. I just found it easier to talk directly to the young person, but I was really hoping that adults would pick it up and it's kind of expecting maybe in fact that more adults to some extent than, than kids would pick it up um, and just kind of that it might throw up some interesting some uh, some interesting ideas that would at least start a conversation you know and st- and to and to yeah. kind of help if there had if there were difficulties going on um, uh, you know in that way um, and yeah um, such a good idea but it's interesting that as you wrote it, you were thinking, well, you know, perhaps the perhaps the adults around will pick up this book, and we certainly had that half a hope, didn't we, Bettina, that the kids would pick up the book yes. <laughs> that we, you know, and, and share some ideas. And it's all about that conversation, isn't it? That somehow the some parts will ring or press a button for an adult, and other parts will press a button for for a you know for the young person. Um, so it was a very, it's an interesting kind of synergy. Um, it's not a lecture to one or the other. It's a conversation between both. So I, I, I think that's that's wonderful. And it's interesting we both had that same hope that yeah. we would reach other parts that, uh, that of the audience. Yeah. Yeah. And just we, you know, we were we were really interested in the idea of talking to teens directly because obviously, um, you know, one of the things we know about the teenage brain is that teens want to be understood and respected, you know, as as adults would be, um, and so that's you know it makes sense to speak directly to teens. Were there any of the hacks? There's 18 brilliant hacks that we could all use. In fact, whether we're young yeah. people or not, <laughs> did strike me as I read your book. Exactly. Um, are there any hacks that you thought were particularly appropriate for different age groups? Um, or did you think that these are just some that teens will pick up as and when they might feel ready to do that? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I um, And uh, to be honest, I didn't really look at it like that because uh, to some extent uh, it was targeted really at um, uh, sort of 16 to 19 year olds because that's the... That the sixth form is, is are the the the, the, um, the students that I work with, and they they were kind of the people that I had in mind when I was when I was writing it. And as you know, the, there's such a, a difference anyway between in, in sort of um, developmental needs, uh, even around people of the same age, that it, it wasn't targeted in that kind of linear way. I think it was um, for me what I was what I was excited about doing was was instead of that doing a sort of almost a multi-sensory kind of approach where um, throwing lots of different um, angles mm. at well-being in the hope that, um, you know, some people some people can take to mindfulness and they kind of get that, that sort of thing. Other people, uh, I've found just, you know, they really struggle to get into that kind of zone. Um, and so... Um, you know, there's a there's a section about music, which I think might be much more accessible for someone like that. Somebody else, um, you know, some people kind of can get into the, the sort of exercise thing. There's a, there's some, some stuff about that which we all know is good, but other people, you know, not so much. And um, so I've got some things about stories and um, or nature. So it, it's kind of um, trying to come at it from all angles in the hope that 
that something will stick. And in fact, part of what part of what I wanted to do when I'd gone to look at similar sorts of books, uh, it seems like uh, quite a few books um, had sort of one good idea, which is which is really excellent. Um, but then they would sort of spin it out for the whole book, and it and um, you know, and it, 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 I, I don't know. I wanted mm. to try and um, move on quickly. I guess again thinking about uh, about the teenagers and and also myself and I because I'm quite impatient I think I, I kind of relate to a, um, the, the the way that young people want to just get on with things um, and um, and I thought it might be quite interesting just to go that that's also really where the hack thing came in it's like okay what's the what's the sort of um, what's the really you know uh, the hook what's the thing that I just could do straight start doing straight away and get on with immediately and that would be the the kind of headline hack that would think okay that sounds interesting and then behind that sort of unravel that a bit more so there's something for everybody that's that's yeah yeah I love that you can dip into so you're not expecting a sort of you know you must do a b c it's you dip into what makes sense for you and if you did one of the 18 it might have enough impact to change, to shift things. I, I love that idea, you know, something for everyone. Yeah, and it really highlights that that idea that it is. there are so many things in different aspects of our life. So, you know, I love the way you've got these three sections. So there's notice, there's energize, and there's connect. And you could dip into all of those. There are some that really stand out for me, actually, as really being related to the kind of teenage brain, like standing on the desk is really about trying new things about risk taking. Um, thinking about the group really stood out for me as very relevant for teens when we know about, you know, social integration and the impact of that on your identity. Um, likes on your phone, that was a really one that stood out for me as really relevant for this age group as well. You know, just thinking about their kind of developmental yeah, tasks. There was absolutely there was a lot of stuff. I, well, for me, what came out was quite a lot of stuff about identity, which, which just um, you know, was obviously, mm. I, I think a, that's that's a, a big thing that's going on at that at that point in time in their life. Um, and again, kind of quite nice thinking about different, you know, different ways that that. Identity can be developed. I quite, I, I, I really found very. I mean, you, I'm sure you know more about this than me, but um, I found it really interesting that the do almost nothing um, hack, which was really about the brain's default mode and having yes. been accidentally discovered while people were twiddling their thumbs in a brain. Yes. Um, but as that, as I sort of again, as I unraveled that, it just became more and more apparent to me that there is this whole. Um, uh, experience that people used to have young people I mean this is people in general but I think it's particularly pertinent to young people because it is about identity this is there used to be a lot more space for doing nothing you know whenever you were sort of mm-hmm. waiting for a bus or didn't have anything immediately to do you would it's probably default to, to doing almost nothing and just kind of thinking about the world um, and that's almost entirely been zapped now because you've always got the, the phone and which is absolutely not doing nothing i'll try to make that as you say in the, in the likes thing make the point that the phone is is specifically designed to um obliterate that kind of daydreamy type thinking it wants very focused attention um so in, order true. To, in order to basically in order to sell you stuff yeah um and 
the more that you look back in it, the more you, the, 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 there's a lovely quote. Um, I think it, I think it's in the book. I can't remember if I put it, but um, by C.S. Lewis talking about um, empty corridors <laughs> and sunlit rooms, um, and talking about when he was a child and the way the, the hours that he would do, he would spend just sitting in still quiet spaces thinking about himself and the world and now we know a bit more about the fact that there's the default mode is, is kicking in during that period um, and as you you highlight um in in um in real detail in in your book that's there's a lot of that which is about identity it's about what your place in the world is it's about kind of zooming forward and back in time to put your plate yourself in different situations there's loads of really good stuff in there in terms of developing who you are um, and uh, and I find it fascinating. It's the trouble is, it's a kind of you know trying to get people to do nothing is a sort of you're pulling in two places at once, aren't you? Because it's like really act now to not act at all, and so it's kind of it's not an easy thing to foster. And in a school, it's very difficult because um, schools are just so manic that creating those kind of spaces is almost impossible. Um, you know, you can have people sitting in silence for a bit, but even then they're so aware, you know, you're surrounded by your peers. Um, you, it's just not the same as, as flopping around in a, in a bedroom with nothing going on while you're looking out the window and what have you. So um, there, was a, there was a lot of stuff like that, that that I wasn't aware of at all before, but, but seemed, I found really fascinating. Yeah, and it's all that, that focus on the social and emotional world, isn't there, which we know is such a focus for people at this stage of life. Um, so, I mean, actually, we've got another book coming out, which is called How to Have an Incredible Conversation, um, which is, um, uh, again, really focusing on well-being, but really thinking about the relationship between the parent and the child, probably pre-teen. But in that, we really um, grappled a bit with, describing emotions succinctly it's really hard isn't it looking it is but we thought your chapter was really superb on emotions um so we wondered we were rather envious weren't we Bettina? we were a little <laughs> that's right um <laughs> we wondered if you could explain why young people should learn about emotions yeah well um i guess that i mean Partly the evidence, you know, there's there's uh, there's a lo- another thing that I discovered a really lovely word, emo diversity, which um, is basically kind of uh, um, emotional literacy. And there's lots of evidence that the more emotionally literate or, uh, that young people are, the more they're able to um, regulate and or just um, deal with uh, handle emotions. Um, so, you know, you could, you're going straight in with that. I mean. Uh, I think, um, apart from anything else, when you actually start talking about it, like um, that that chapter has I've, I've found is the one that oft- most most people kind of like the like the most. Uh, I think, um, and I think people are just are um, really interested in emotions, and, and you only got to get but that your book is 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 hitting a nail on the head in a sense that, that I think you only got to get people talking about that. Um, young people, as uh, you know, as well as most of us, and they they do find it really interesting. But I guess um, it's not the sort of thing that you tend to kind of explicitly talk about in a in a conversation. And it's um, I, I'm not quite sure why. Um, but the the 
again, I was I was just learning loads about it. I was kind of dr- trying to drill down to to the essence of it, and I got to the um, you know the idea of the circumflex, which I, again I found really interesting, and in that you can map all of the motions on a on a circumflex where you've got um, high energy to low energy and pleasure to displeasure. So you go right over to displeasure, high energy, and you get something like fury, whereas um, displeasure, low energy would be something like um, depression. Um, and then high energy pleasure would be something like um, um, excitement. Uh, and then high energy, uh, high sorry, low energy, high pleasure would be something like serene and calm. And I just find that fascinating. And then from that, I discovered there was um, a Yale University have taken that idea um, and come up with something called a mood meter, which they're using in schools, which I thought was a really nice thing where you just basically. Yes, that's um, a great app. Onto it. Um, and what's really nice about it is it's not really a right or wrong. You know, it's you can't get it wrong. But what it does is is makes you think about, oh, yeah, like that's this is this is this is, uh, you know, annoyed is like a bit like um, angry, but less so or you know um calm is is a bit like serene or what have you and it kind of generates that that you can have some fun with it i think and really sort of um uh get people talking about what emotions are and where they are and just go back i think to the other thing about why it's important i know from my just my own experience of having gone through looked at that and learned about it but it's a bit like having a map um of emotions and i think what what it can do at its best is is remind you that um well to start off would remind you that all of those different types of emotions are are um useful and and normal uh, and you know and it's not a bad thing to be um sad uh, uh, or angry um it's it's on the map there you know it's a it's a normal thing but also if you can see that overview of the emotions sometimes for me personally it's made it easier to think yes all right at the moment I'm really down um, I'm over here, but those all the other areas of the map are still there, and I'm going to be back in them at some point and you know it's not this is not going to last forever it's it's a it's a landscape that we're all traversing around all the time, and sometimes you're straying through the the less pleasurable areas and but probably that's for a reason, and other times you're you're in the more pleasurable ones having that scope like I say in that idea of the of the whole landscape of emotions in a in a relatively um sh- sort of straightforward easy to see kind of format i think can be really useful to 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 help people realize that they're not going to be overwhelmed by any particular emotion that 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 um uh it won't last forever and and nor i think that's right normalizing that um, because I think that was one of the things that we're often struck by in our in our clinical work, and I'm sure you see that time and again with the young people you work with, the idea that these emotions are stronger than they ever have been in adolescence, and feeling overwhelmed by the strength of the feeling, not even the you know the the quality of the feeling, and wondering if that's a sign of mental health problems and and so on. So I think your what your book does is it nor or certainly that chapter has got a wonderful way of normalising you know, this different parts of the map, as you say, and starting a conversation. How do I feel? Well, I feel a bit annoyed and a little bit envious. You know, those emotions are hard to, to balance. It's a really, it's a wonderful conversation to start. There's a, there's a book by 
ruby wax called Frazzled that uh, I'm not sure, I don't know if you've come across, but um, uh, she has a, a similar sort of thing is that it's not exactly the mood meter, but she suggested if 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 um, if you have a, a teenager in the in the house that you could have it up on the the um, fridge um, and they could have a, move, a magnet so that if they are in a particularly if they're feeling angry, for example, and they don't really want to just sit down and calmly tell you that they're feeling angry, that your teenager can place the magnet where they are and communicate in that way, which um, I thought was quite nice. And that, you know, again, that's, that could sort of start a conversation without, it would be without, a triumph without you needing to, because obviously, you know, if you're, if, as you say, if you've got very strong emotions, then sometimes um, explaining that to an, to to uh, to your parents is not an easy thing to do. It might be much easier just to smack a magnet in the fury zone and march off. At least, they, at least they, everybody knows where they are. Then, <laughs> yeah, it's a clear communication. I actually saw this really fascinating study was published the other day, just that idea, you know, that naming emotions makes you feel better. And they actually did a study on Twitter where they took a measure of when, I'm not sure how fantastically, um, you know, there are probably some issues with the design, to be honest, but they took a measure of when the emotion was, ne- was named and they look at the, looked at the tweets before and after and the ones before were much more heightened in terms of their emotional intensity than the ones after, mm. which is so really? interesting. So even on Twitter, if you're struggling with your emotion, name it on Twitter <laughs> And you'll feel a bit better. Yes, carefully though. <laughs> carefully. <laughs> um, okay, Aidan, we better crack on. I've just got an eye on the time we're chatting. So when we were writing our book, we wrote a few real life scenarios to try and illustrate some of the points that we were making in the book. And almost at the 11th hour, wasn't it, Bettina? Mm. We added in uh, an idea about you know what might get in the way in these scenarios And if you were thinking about all of the hacks that you have, maybe there's one particular or the principle of changing your, you you know, to to improve your well-being. What do you think might get in the way for young people if they might embark on a a journey of well-being improvement? Um, I I think I would go towards a smartphone uh, thing here. You were very balanced about smartphones, Mm. which I completely, I I think is, is, uh, it is absolutely right, and you were again. You were you were just you were going with the evidence for it. I mean, I, I'm not big on sort of um, you know trying to limit screen time or things like that, or you know having those kind of battles. But there's there's I mean again one of the things that I found really interesting when I was looking at the the smartphone area for my book was the first of all was just that fact that um, uh, apps and what have you are, are are supplied to young people under the premise that it's going to be make their life fun and interesting. Um, and actually what they're doing is, is they're turning young people into the product that they're selling. Um, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not saying that there's evil tech companies doing that, but I think that's really important that the, that the young people know that. And, and I'm sure they do to some extent. It's not, a, they're not, you know, ridiculously naive, but you need to be reminded about that, I think, every now and then, because a lot of work goes into making, you know, Apple be really lovely, friendly company and Google is all smiley and nice. You know, they're all the good people. And um, and actually, they, 
that they're you know they're they're turning the young people into into a product. And one of the things that I'm also thinking in some respects about as I say, not so much about screen time, but I think it's more about what kind of life the tech companies are selling to young people. It is what my concern in terms of getting in the way of, of well-being. I was I was watching recently. There was um, this guy called Eric Schmidt, who's the um, chairman of Google. He was talking at Davos about the future of of smartphones and, and things like that generally. And he was talking about very soon it's going to it's going to accelerate and it's going to get more. For him, he was sort of almost evangelical about how great it was going to be. Talking about you're going to have in your smartphone, you're going to get an enormously personal, helpful advice was what he was talking about. And he actually said these. I had to write it down because they sounded so fascinating. So fascinating. He said because what by the time they they know all about you, the the the, the phones and the and the apps, you're going to have a phone. It's going to tell you, uh, give you advice on what should I do today, what am I interested in, where shall I go. How shall I make these decisions? You know, and, he, and for him, that was a fabulous um, life that, wow. that he was going to be offering young people. Uh, well, everybody, but I think it's you know it's particularly pertinent for young people. And um, I mean, there's you know there's so much in terms of development that's about agency and um, and control and sort of making an impact on the world in some way. And what's being the the idea of of a really great life is that it's being sold, and I think it's because it's like the people behind it really believe that this is the, this is a good thing. They're being sold an idea that a great life is the most convenient possible life that you can do, where you don't have to you don't really have to think um, or do much, or you know you don't have to really have many skills. Um, or you don't have to master much because we're brilliant. We're, we're going to do all of that for you. And so your life is going to be great. And um, that is the, seems to me like the direction of travel. And, and it's fundamentally against, I think, what young people need in terms of well-being on all kinds of levels, you know, on agency, as I say, and also even on risk-taking. Do everything they can to take risk. You've got a lot of stuff in your fascinating stuff in in your book about risk. Um, it's going to be all out to take risk out of everything um, and agency out of everything. Um, and and I think that's that's something that again, young people are not stupid. They they they're going to be aware of a lot of this, but we all need to be reminded of it because it's so easy to be sucked into that alternative universe um, and. And it looks on the face of it like it should be a great idea, but I don't think it is. But I, I, I love that idea of, of just highlighting to young people about the commoditization of their attention, because that is, you know, there's a moral outrage to that, that I think lots of young people will take. You know, it's a little bit about, it reminds me a little bit, Bettina, about the behavioral changes that young mm. people um, got on board, you know, if you if you highlight the sort of the tobacco companies' misuse of you know health information, um, young people were appalled and changed their behaviour, and smoking rates and young people dropped. It's the same sort of, you know, they're they're passionate, and that the, I think highlighting that to young people is really important, and they will take it and use it appropriately. But I think you know, in the book also began, we we were thinking about our audience were uh, parents and teachers, and often 
parents tend to see the phone as the devil incarnate, you know, something that has to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, thrown out and, and absolutely cast aside. And actually, I think that sort of demonization of the phone isn't helpful either. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know that it's about it's a little bit about balance, but I think that's you know I think we we're definitely um, of one mind I would say, but mm-hmm. our approach is reflected in the different audiences that we spoke to. I think that's yeah, you know that I think sense. that's all very heartening, mm-hmm. isn't it? No, no matter what approach yeah. you take, there's well, a commonality really like in the, that you in the principle. Respect, sort of playing to the young people's idea of being talked talked to with respect and pointing out, rather than saying you know phones are bad, pointing out that actually some of what goes on is not treating you with respect you know they, they're, they're kind of they're being a bit duplicitous about it and they're not you know they're not being straight with you and that as you say we're given what we know about mm. how young people need and should be treated with respect I think that's a good way to go in terms of them not throwing the phones out but realizing that that they they have to deal with them in a sophisticated way and I think once the adults stop having that that as their primary battle young people can take it on in a different way and say hold on let me ask myself the question how great do I feel when I've been on social media all day or whatever it is and you know we know that teenagers are really sensitive to being infantilized or feeling infantilized you know they really want to as you say agency is a great word they want to have agency so I think that's one of the things we really focused on was let's get that conversation going. Let's talk to them about it. Don't just say, put it away. That's bad for you. Um, Gosh, I really agree because there's so much in your book, so many things I could be doing. (laughs) The infantilized word I think is, is, is really interesting because absolutely right. And, and they don't want to be, and what you can do is point out that a lot of, well, some of this stuff about convenience is doing exactly that. It's infantilizing them because it's saying like, we're going to, we're going to make all these mm-hmm. decisions for you. So that would be along with the respect kind of thing that I think that that would be a really nice way into having them question some of those things that were going on. I agree. We're on the same page. <laughs> yep. So Another brilliant idea that we really loved um, from your book was really um, the idea that it takes effort to change anything in life. You know, when you talk about needing intentional activity to make changes, that obviously the neuroscience ideas about neuroplasticity, how to build habits, we, you know, we talk about that a lot because it's, it's kind of people know, but the importance of it is just so fundamental. So here's a question, Aidan. Um, say your reader just had 10 minutes a day to improve their well-being, what would you recommend they do with it? I'm going to just step back briefly from that because that reminds me a little bit of there was a while back a, um, a sort of almost a Twitter campaign that was it said um, stop talking to teachers about well-being or something like that. Um, and what it meant was stop assuming that everybody's lives is horrible and doing a sort of bolt-on well-being thing to try and patch up you know what was going on um what you need to be doing is looking at the the life itself rather than rolling on with um assuming everybody's life is miserable and and then having them do five minutes of mindfulness at the time so that's a kind of caveat but um yeah what, um, I like that. what 
what I would do, there's, this is something that I do uh, much to my teenage daughters, actually in my teenage daughter's amusement, um, usually. I would, if you've got even five minutes, <laughs> on your, one of your favourite tracks and dance around your room um, with nobody else there watching. Uh, I do that mm. um, not every day, but I do it what quite often. Brilliant idea, uh, and it's just great for bringing you up. It can, you know, it, the difficult thing is if you're feeling down is actually doing that. But if you can sort of, um, uh, if you can sort of have a track ready in your mind so that you think, okay, when well, next time I'm, I need a lift, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this playlist on or something like that, and just randomly shuffle it and come up with one. Uh, and force yourself to dance around. It's great. It it kind of hits two of the of the of the hacks from the book because I really wanted to in, include some stuff about music because we know all know you know with young people are it's such an important element of of their lives and it's not something that I've seen mentioned a lot in terms of well being and it, it's it's which is strange in a way because we know mm. how much it affects emotions and but it also has such a lot to do with identity as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of huge. So it hits that and it also hits the, the business about moving around and, and, um, and just of that you, you get two, two things going on at once. If you do that, I think it, I, that's what I would do. That would be my first port of call. I think that's highly recommended. Uh, it does make me think about the big data that was described um, on a downloading um, app. I'm not sure if we should mention this specific app, but there was a wonderful <laughs> piece of data that was explored um, and um, looking to see what was the most commonly downloaded track. And the data was analysed and they found very clear patterns where the track you're most likely to download and enjoy and describe as your favourite track is the one that was released when you were 14 or 15 <sighs> years old. Now we know that that's probably because <laughs> the wiring in our brain is so, you know, plastic is waiting and anything that happens in that time gets linked to a passionate, wonderful moment and it, it changes uh, things. Things affect us deeply in teenage years. And it really, I love that piece of data. And actually the, the fact that you can say they don't make them like they used to do <laughs> and your teenage <laughs> kids roll their eyes because yeah. as far as they're concerned, quite frankly, we're all delighted that they don't. It is a, just a wonderful piece of data yeah. that explores and shows the passion of the teenage years and also illustrates your hacks beautifully about the idea of really lifting um, an emotion and getting back to a time where things felt passionate and wonderful, exciting and vibrant and just stepping back into that. So I love that idea. Mm. of dancing around your room me too I think it, was, it was very interesting when i was uh, it took some time to to find much um much research uh, uh, for me on on this music and well-being it didn't seem like there was a great deal around and one of the things that came out was that it was it's not very straightforward in terms of you know you, um if you are if you're in, if you're in a bad place then you there's you quite often you can use music badly um, in order to um, almost in a, I mean, it's, it's a bit over the top, but almost in a sort of self-harm kind of way where you, you know, you'll play a track over and over again that reminds you of the mm. boyfriend that's chucked you or something like that. Um, and so again, the, again, what, what seems to be necessary is just not to tell people, you know, what to listen to or, or, or to do that, but just to say like, to, um, help them maybe to think about 
the effect that music is having um and you know and to think about the the kind of memories it brings up or the emotions that it brings up um and to think about whether or not that's being helpful or is it a hindrance or you know just reflect on it and you, you that seems to be something that can get people out of so i think quite often you don't even realize that you're using music in a in a dysfunctional way um which is because you're so wrapped up in it and you know and it's, it's that kind of yeah. music. so highlighting the way that people there's even a um the term musicking which is i found quite interesting which is like the sort of purposeful mu- use of music um mm. uh, or uh, for a, for whatever purpose it no that was really a new idea to me i hadn't really thought about it like that i think it's really resonates with me yeah, so i was kind of quite i was sort of hoping that i would find some amazing research that said you know just listen to this track and everybody will everybody feels better when they listen to that but it, it's not it's not as straightforward as that um cool that yeah. you were. okay Edith, i think we've reached our last question this is our last hurrah we call this okay. <laughs> um Certainly for when we were writing a book, we wrote a book with our colleague uh, Tara Murphy. Um, when we were writing, we found it a real learning experience. And of course, you learn about the literature and the science, of course you do, but you learn also a little bit about yourself. Um, what have you learned since writing 18 Wellbeing Hacks? And do you think you could take that forward to your next project? And how would you do that? Um, first of all, I think, well, <laughs> I, I just think you did it absolutely right uh, uh, doing it with other people I think is it must be infinitely preferable um I did start off with somebody else who was interested um but she didn't have the time you know it's quite a, as you know it's a it's quite a huge time commitment um and um but doing it on your own is 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 a bit uh is a bit lonely I was very lucky my sister was uh was very helpful I would send her each chapter and then she would um, she would critique it. You need, you know, you need things like that. But it would be, it would have been great. It must be lovely to have, be able to bounce ideas off, uh, off each other um, in that way. The other thing that, um, the other thing that struck me once I'd written a book was I, I suddenly, I suddenly started to think um, I've got to think of of other ways of of kind of getting this. In front of young people, because um, uh, with the best will in the world, um, I, I just feel like that. Um, uh, the, you know, um, the book is a really good foundation, but it could be brought out in other ways and and what have you. So um, that's partly why. So I developed the online program, which is which is all based on the book, um, and um, um, and it's also based on the idea that you talk about in your book, which is using the, the, the power of um, young people's uh, drive for social um, acceptance or social or just connection. Um, and it just seemed to me that if we could, if we could get young people telling other young people about um, good wellbeing ideas, then that's probably going to be a lot more effective than, yeah. than um, listening to me uh, talk about it. Um, so that was the, that was, that was, the other thing. Uh, that was the other thing that that kind of struck me, and it didn't really didn't properly hit me till after I've written a book. But it it, it was um 
but yeah, it was it was a, it was nice because I, there's no way that I, the, the two things have to go together, the book and the online course, and um, the one of them couldn't come come without the other. I think I I love that idea of of that of the peer peer to peer learning in terms of well being. It's like planting a seed, and it will it will germinate across the the young person's community if if we could get it right. So I think that that is a is a wonderful reflection. You know, having but you know what can only that can only happen once that wonderful data is pulled together in the book. You know what what happens to that data is the next step, isn't it? I think that's absolutely. A fantastic observation. Thank you so much, Aidan, for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been really fascinating. Um, I could really go on talking to you for much longer, but um, I think we have to finish. We hope that you found these nuggets of wisdom from Aidan really helpful in your life and in your work, perhaps. Thank you so much for listening. Jane and I use the handle Incredible Conversation on social media. I think it's Incredible Convo on Twitter. But do follow us if you can and join in all of our incredible conversations. And thanks again, Aidan. Thank you. So we would love these podcasts to reach as many people as possible. You can help us by sharing it, offering a review and subscribing. We really discuss some incredible books. So if you want to follow up on any of them, you can find all of the information in the episode description.